This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 28, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The SHIELD Act purports to limit foreign influence in U.S. elections, but its provisions also include a vast wish list of restrictions on Americans' political speech. The bill passed the House along party lines. Scott Blackburn is research director at the Institute for Free Speech. We spoke last week about how the SHIELD Act would limit political engagement. What is the SHIELD Act? The the SHIELD Act is um, the latest attempt by House Democrats to regulate online political ad activity under the guise of preventing foreign meddling in election like we saw in, in 2016. So what's in it? So the largest portion of the SHIELD Act is... Uh, almost verbatim, the Honest Ads Act, which was the previous attempt by House Democrats to uh, regulate and restrict online activity uh, vis-a-vis this this guise. It also includes some provisions that uh, prevent contacting, uh, prevent campaigns from contacting foreign officials, um, makes it a crime not to report those kind of contacts. But the vast majority of it does two things. It creates a large public file that anyone who is an online platform of a certain size has to uh, comply with um, of all online ads and who they were targeted at, who saw them, what the ads said, who paid for the ad. Um, That public file is not just for campaign ads. It's for any ad that's a national issue of public importance which obviously covers almost the entire world of advertising. And it also regulates online ads that mention candidates that doesn't otherwise advocate for them. So uh, it expands the what, what are called electioneering communications to online political ads where they previously haven't gone before. So it takes those TV regulations and tries tries clumsily to stick them online. So let's be clear what we're talking about. When somebody says they an ad that mentions a candidate that does not uh, actually um, uh, advocate for or against that candidate, we're talking about what would have been called sham issue ads. Uh, sometimes, right? yes. Though th- sometimes this doesn't make a, pejor- a distinction a between sham issue ads or genuine issue ads. So <laughs> uh, both b- both categories of them, whether, you know, whether it's an ad that says Senator uh, Susan Collins, Olympia Snow, uh, join us in supporting Obamacare, uh, or it's an ad that says uh, contact your senator and tell them you are against whatever terrible thing that uh, right, y- right. Y- you you think the senator is for. Why won't Mitch McConnell stand up for X? Yes. So, but but more broadly, even if you're just mentioning candidates in passing about an issue that is of national importance, and you're not meaning to not meaning to uh, indicate that this senator or this representative is bad or good for this reason, uh, those get swept up anyway. And of course, the distinction between the two is uh, is probably difficult to come up with. It's very difficult to come up with, and in the world of online ads, it's it's far more difficult to come up with. If someone's buying a television ad, if they're spending $50,000, $100,000 um, to run a limited slot 30-second ad, it is it is 
um, much much easier to put that into a box and say this is a campaign ad. The world of online ads is is far broader than that. It's Google keywords. It's the ads that appear at the end of articles. It's uh, Twitter things. It's a promoted Facebook post, and that encompasses an, an incredible amount of speech, an incredible amount of content, much of which no one thinks of as political. So. Uh, a gentleman who sells Trump-themed socks or Bernie Sanders bobblehead dolls. They're, they're just trying to sell their product. Um, those would be immediately deemed political ads for the sale of the thing. If you're selling uh, cookies that are, you know, promote a healthy message, you get caught up in this because, you know, health care is an issue of national public importance. Uh, in now, the, I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of Citizens United, the mm-hmm. oral argument in Citizens United, and there was a point at which uh, the chief justice asked, I believe, the government's attorney something to the effect of, it's a 500-page book, and at the end it says, so vote for X. It seems like would would uh, the advocates for this piece of legislation view that as advertising as well? If if it is paid for a fee to appear online, then I yes, see. it would it would uh, potentially be an ad. So if you self publish the book, if you if you pay a website to put your book up online, and your book in, in you know mentions candidates, even if it say mentions them in a fictional context, um, it it could be classified as an as an ad. Those kind of things would probably be sorted out more deeply in in regulation going forward. But on the face, absolutely. So. Uh, this has passed the House along a generally party line vote. Almost entirely a, a party line vote. One Democrat uh, voted against it, and Justin Amash, who is now an independent, voted against it. So, what do uh, the supporters of this claim that it's actually going to do? It, it doesn't seem like, at least from my uh, limited understanding, it doesn't seem like it's actually targeting. Uh, beyond the, the the bits you mentioned at the beginning, it doesn't seem like it's really substantively targeting so-called foreign interference. Well, the supporters have have done a, a pretty strong job of advocating those small bits. Uh, in fact, if you look at news coverage of the Shield Act, it hardly mentions the portions dealing with political ads, and almost always mentions dealing with Russian interference and what campaigns can and cannot do contact, much of which is already illegal under different statutes, um, but is then uh, reapplied in this statute um, and gives the the Federal Election Commission enforcement over some of these things. It requires the filing of more reports by committees. So those things are being highlighted, um, obviously, in the in the in the wake of the impeachment inquiry that has been the big the big highlight with regard to this bill. So the the key thing for me whenever we talk about campaign finance regulation and uh, the kind of speech that will be allowed is what is the impact on small speakers relative to large speakers can you uh, talk about that absolutely um so so we've had there've been two instances in the country where bills similar to this have gone into effect and and in both instances, we see the the negative impacts, particularly on on small speakers. So Washington State passed a, a law with a similar style public file, where you had to meet a bunch of requirements to um, to run your ads online. the The result of that was that almost no one runs political ads in Washington State. Even the big players, Google, Facebook, 
pulled out saying these these requirements are impossible to meet the state doesn't understand how online ads work and has and has required burdens on us that are well beyond uh what what anyone could possibly do so the ads just shut down when online ads which are far cheaper shut down uh that gives an advantage to the people who can buy the more conventional uh politicking techniques can buy television ads so the online ads have provided an avenue for many grassroots organizations for many advocacy uh you know uh movements for many low-level candidates to to be able to get into the political debate shutting those down increases the power of the the entrenched players the the second result we've seen is that um what these what ends up happening is that you catch the unwary, not the nefarious, when you impose these kind of regulations on on speech. So someone who is, uh, say again, trying to sell Trump socks or again trying to promote their small legislative agenda, you know, a small movement of criminal justice reform or, or legalizing marijuana, something like that, where they don't understand the, the campaign finance world as it exists and its incredible complexities – they're likely to get caught up in this. They'll get a mean letter from the FEC saying, take down your ad. They'll get a letter from the platform saying you didn't comply with this and the platforms are mandated to send that under this bill or they're liable if they don't do that kind of thing. And when that happens, they're just going to stop their activity because that's easier than the cost of complying. And at the same time, you don't actually catch anyone who's trying to disobey the law because foreign actors attempting to evade U.S. campaign finance laws don't care if they're fined by the FEC. Um, Mitch McConnell is probably close to a campaign finance free speech absolutist, as as we are likely to find in the, in the U.S. Senate. What prospects does this face in the Senate? Uh, it is very unlikely to be taken up in the Senate, which is obviously good news. Um, but this is this is really just the latest effort. We've seen this this bill now three times just from this house. Uh, we've seen it in many states across the country. I suspect we will see it again. It, it, there is a strong push to to regulate. There's a strong push from from this Congress and a political movement to regulate online speech broadly and regulate online political ads is is definitely a large part of that. Uh, Alan Dickerson spoke at the Cato Institute. Your colleague uh, talked about uh, the difficulty, uh, in in some cases, it seems the impossibility of applying sort of standard um, rules governing television ads to the internet. Um, whenever we think of foreign interference, uh, when whenever I think of it uh, with respect to our elections, I think of uh, bot farms. Uh, making fake Twitter accounts and fake Facebook groups that are basically just designed to get people angry at one another. And uh, none of those, strictly speaking, are ads. That, that's right. The, the Russian efforts at, at meddling in, in politics in the 2016 election, in the, in the 2016 campaign, were uh, almost entirely native content. The, the Senate Intelligence Report and the Mueller Report both found that the Russians spent about $100,000 total on ads. That compares to $1.6 in total political speech by Americans online and $81 million from just the Trump and Clinton campaigns. And even that $100,000, that's about 3,500 individual ads 
on on Facebook. Uh, even that amount overstates the the relative impact in terms of of the political debate that it has. Many of these ads were were promoted Facebook posts for divisive issues or uh, otherwise uh, innocuous American speech. Uh, otherwise innocuous speech that that if done by an American, no no one would notice. Uh, but the, the the there was very limited effort to actually engage a political debate from. Uh, from the ad perspective by Russians. Scott Blackburn directs research at the Institute for Free Speech. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.